Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 142 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed week two of the NFL season. It was a little bit of a step back in terms of the drama, but it's because week one was a little bit of a debacle with a whole bunch of late kicking shenanigans, and we almost had some ties, and we had drama this week. Let's, uh... To say the least, we'll talk about some of these close endings. We'll get into the Baltimore one. We'll get into some of the surprising outcomes. Looking at you, Colts, unable to beat Jacksonville. Week 17, excuse me, week 18. A dud in Sunday Night Football for the most part. Um, Maybe we'll touch on those. And an intriguing ending to Thursday Night Football, but... Either way, we're ready, geared up for week three of the NFL season. I am, I assume you are, if you're tuned in. If it's your first episode or your 142nd episode, my usual sincerest thank you for joining us. Let's start this episode with my standout seven. Number one through number three, if we're being honest. Bigger story, but at the forefront, contenders underachieving. Bigger story, the Cincinnati Bengals dropping 2-0-2 after a loss to the Dallas Cowboys on the road, or the Tennessee Titans getting absolutely blitzed by the team that seems to be everyone's Super Bowl favorite, the Buffalo Bills. Honorary mention, the Indianapolis Colts. Let's get started where we're getting started, in Dallas, Texas, where the Cincinnati Bengals had the ball in a tie game in the fourth quarter and found a way to lose before they even made it to OT against Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush played all right. Ends the game with 235 and a touchdown. Didn't turn the ball over through the air. Pretty good game. Um, I think the Bengals' defense was decent at stopping Zeke. You know, 15 carries for 53. It's nothing insane. Tony Pollard chipped in 43 on 9 carries. The explosiveness you'd expect, you factor in four catches for 55. That's more of what I thought I'd see this year out of Tony Pollard. I I tend to think after seeing Zeke last year, I thought Pollard might get a little bit more touches, but I think Zeke being healthier, the Cowboys coaching staff, particularly I assume Kellen Moore, the play caller, is more confident in Zeke Elliott being Zeke Elliott, the guy that they expected him to be. Um, That being said, Cooper Rush's chemistry with Noah Brown was apparent, and it was really a driving force at points in this game for the Cowboys' offense. C.D. Lamb chipped in 7 for 75. He had a pretty good game. Um, The usual Cincinnati Bengals offensive line being awful was a factor. I believe the Cowboys ended with six sacks in this game. Micah Parsons with another two in a crusade for what I assume will be another top-five finish in the Defensive Player of the Year. Um, voting. I assume he was top five last year. I'm going to, you know, headcanon he was top five. Um, Joe Burrow, I mean, 24-36, not that bad. He goes for 200. Mixon didn't really do too, too much. Jamar Chase ends with 54 after they talked some, you know, hala majala about Trayvon Diggs, they being Jamar Chase explicitly. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I've heard a lot said about Zach Taylor's play calling and how it's part of the problem with their start. Fact of the matter is, for me, week one could have easily been a win. They missed a game-winning kick, and they had a game-winning extra point blocked. 
that could have, and some would argue should have, been a win, even though Joe Burrow turned the ball over like he was... I don't even know who you'd want to compare it to. You'd probably want to make an Eli Manning joke here, but that's not what we're doing. We're not going to disrespect the future Hall of Famer. Um, No, but in all seriousness, they could have won that game, should have won that game, I would say, and they could have easily, maybe not easily, won this game. I mean, they're down 17-3 at half. Fourth quarter, the Cowboys are panicking, you tend to think, as the game has come all the way down to a tie with, what, about a minute left? Let me check my notes real quickly. It was a tight one. Um, Third and short with a minute to go bothered me. The play calling by Zach Taylor, I thought it was a little too telegraphed, but I think that was really the only main instance that got me uh, frustrated. I thought it was interesting that early in the game, Dallas went for it on fourth down to kind of set the tone, and they got it, and they went up immediately. Um, Yeah, I'm not super concerned about Joey B. Spoiler to the answer to my earlier question, of which is the bigger story. Um, Tennessee at Buffalo. So, part one, sorry, rather, strike one, you're playing against the Buffalo Bills. Strike two, you're playing at the Buffalo Bills. Strike three, I mean, you just don't have a passing offense that can compete with them, and you are not, I mean, you'd need a real elite defense to lock down this Bills offense. I think we all knew how this game would go. We all knew Buffalo would win. Did we think it would be this dominant? Perhaps not. But you're taking a look at the fact that the Buffalo Bills in two weeks have dominated the defending champions and a former high seed in the AFC, holding Derrick Henry to 25 yards on the ground. Um, Big takeaways from this game. Josh Allen looks like he's going to be sprinting to an MVP. Um, Buffalo did run the ball somewhat in this game, but I mean, when you go up, what, 17-7 at half, but then they scored 24 in the third, and I shut the game off, if we're being honest, once the starters came out. Um, For Buffalo, at least, I did tune in to see Malik Willis, but there were other things on the radar, you know, the Aaron Judge chase for the home run record, and things of that sort. Um, Stephon Diggs looked tremendous. Uh, Without Gabriel Davis in this game, I thought maybe we'd see a little bit more as out of some of the other guys in this passing game, maybe we see Jamison Crowder. See how that goes. Isaiah McKenzie got two grabs. Not bad. Four grabs for Dawson Knox. 50 yards for Kumaro. You know what? That was enough. Um, this didn't shock me. And I'm going to go off the uh, the answer choices here. And I'm going to say the biggest story is the Indianapolis Colts sitting at 0-2. Uh, sorry. 0-1-1. So the reason is the Bengals, like I said, they could have won in Week 1. Uh, some would argue should have won, and then in week two, sorry to repeat myself, I keep saying that, but in week two, it was winnable, it was close, it was whatever. The Titans, you lose to the Giants, all right, you know, it's a bad loss. Losing to Buffalo, it's expected. If you're the Indianapolis Colts and you just got through two softballs on your schedule, which would be the Texans game in Houston to start the year and the Jaguars game in Jacksonville, you should be 2-0. and And you should have the other half of those free four wins waiting for you later in the year and ready when you're, you know, trying to wrap up the division or wrap up, you know, playoff seating or whatever wild card spot. Now, you take a look at the AFC South. 
The team in first place is the Jaguars at 1-1. One and one. The Colts are in a tie with the Houston Texans. They're actually behind the Houston Texans because the Texans suffered, excuse me, the Texans did not suffer a divisional loss like the Colts did, and the Titans are in last. So it's an expectations thing coupled with a competition thing. I mean, the Colts got shut out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. You take a look at the amount of times they had the ball in that fourth quarter. I mean, if they make a handful of plays here, they could have come back to one, excuse me, could have come back to win that game. It would have been tough, but I mean, zero points on the road against the Jaguars is impressively lackluster. It's really bad, if we're being completely honest, folks. Like, that's hard to pull off. Number two in my standout seven. We're keeping it negative. Second week in a row, we're starting with the negative and then into the positive. Maybe we'll switch it up in week, you know, well, I guess going into week four, that would be. Maybe we'll switch it up for episode 143. Let me know what you guys think. Not trying to be negative Nancy at the start of the year, but we've got some surprising ones. Alrighty. Bigger collapse. The Las Vegas Raiders giving away a game at home to the Cardinals or the Baltimore Ravens giving away a game at home to the Miami Dolphins. Now, going into these two games, I will be very open with you. I picked Miami to beat Baltimore, and when it was 28-7 at half, I thought, well, maybe they've finally gotten around on this one. They blew them out a few years ago, then they got punched in the mouth. Round three goes to Baltimore. Oh, no, no, no. Solid game out of Lamar Jackson, if you look at the stats. 400-plus total yards, four touchdowns, didn't throw an interception. The only problem is Tua Tankavailoa, the man himself, goes for 469 and six touchdowns. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle combined for 361 yards between them on 22 touches with two touchdowns apiece. Apiece. This was, and I know usually we go in order, but it, the, the clear answer to me is Baltimore. And it's because this is such an impressively bad loss. You talk about the Raiders game, right? And it came down to, what, a 16-point fourth quarter with the Cardinals, which hinged largely on Kyler Murray's mobility. It was scrambling. It was scrambling here, scrambling there, right? They wind up in overtime. The Raiders have the ball, if not for, you know... A fumble, and then, oh wait, we got it back. And then a second fumble in, what, a handful of plays for Hunter Renfro? Which is kind of unheard of. He winds up getting hit a little high. I think he's concussed. I don't believe he will go this week. We'll get to the injury reports when we get to the pick'em portion. But he winds up putting the ball on the turf, and then we see on the run back that the defensive back running it back for Arizona might have dropped the ball at the goal line a little bit early. But it's one of those things where, I mean, come on, Raider fan, you know what I'm going to say. The calls never go the Raiders' way. And I don't know if they ever will. I mean, in overtime, we're talking about Marquise Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, formerly of the Ravens, ironically enough, uh, getting popped on a ball up the sideline, and he drops it on a fourth down. And I don't even know. And then after the first Renfro fumble, we have a ball go right to, I believe it was Jalen Thompson of the Cardinals, and he just straight drops the interception. And I'm thinking no one wants to win this football game. No one at all. I mean, at one point late in that fourth quarter, it looked like Arizona had finally run out of gas. But then, of course, you know, the Zebras seem to do what they do when the Raiders are playing a close game late. And we see, oh, a defensive hold here, a call there. You know, 
That two-point conversion, did the ball touch the turf? Uh, Raider fan, unfortunate. You're sitting at 0-2, but important to note, it was a hard opening to the season. It doesn't get too, too much easier with Tennessee on the schedule this week, but there are easier games in there eventually. You've got a game against Houston. You've got New Orleans, which could go either way. You've got Jacksonville. You've got a Colts team. Who knows if they're competitive at that point? You've got the Broncos twice, which I tend to think should lean in favor of Vegas. You've got Seattle. You've got New England, which could be up in the air. You've got a, you know, throwback rivalry game right before Christmas with Pittsburgh. There's some winnable ones in there. 0-2 is not where you want to be, but the bigger one for me is Baltimore because... Baltimore played this game for three quarters about as perfectly as you could. And then in the fourth quarter, Miami said, we're not the Dolphins that we've been the last few years. That's not who we are. We are a team with a supremely explosive weapon we acquired in Tyreek Hill, a burgeoning star wide receiver in Jalen Waddell, a pretty darn good tight end in Mike Gesicki. And oh, by the way, two is going to sling it around and we're going to see what happens. Well, what happened was he found the end zone six times, and they threw for 469 yards. And I talked about going into this one. There was some injuries nagging in the back of that Baltimore defense that concerned me. Well, some of that might have reared its head when you give up 469 through the air and 42 points at home to the Miami Dolphins. 0-2 Baltimore is the bigger story. And let's end this on a positive note. The bigger story, the New York football giants at 2-0 through two games, or the Detroit Lions at 1-1 through two games. Um, We'll start with the Giants, and you know, oh, I'm a New York guy. I've said it damn near every episode, I imagine. So you tend to think I might pick the New York Giants, but actually, I tend to think the bigger story is Detroit. We'll start with New York. Um... Daniel Jones, I don't believe, fumbled in this one, which is quite the accomplishment. He goes 22-34 for a buck 76. The passing game was not super-duper impressive. Uh, leading wide receivers Richie James and David Sills. Six catches for Sterling Shepard for under 40 yards. Uh, Kadarius Tony gets two touches, zero yards. Um, Saquon Barkley, a little bit more down-to-earth in this one, but he still ends with 24 touches for 88 Not the worst, considering the seasons he's had since his rookie year, where expectations are completely in the gutter for Saquon Barkley, for whatever reason. Um, On the other side, Baker Mayfield, under 50% completion percentage against the New York football giants without their two young pass rushers, is just that just can't happen. That kind of play will get you a backup quarterback job next season. You know, this is a guy... And we talked about it in the pre the preseason preview episodes that I thought would have sort of that revenge streak season. He seems to have that in him. But for whatever reason, perhaps not. I tend to think that they had a pretty good matchup against this Giants defense. I know the Giants defense has played pretty well through two games here. I mean, Christian McCaffrey goes for a buck two on 15 carries. Didn't do too, too much in the passing game in terms of receiving out of the backfield. But that's just... Kind of the way it is. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little intrigued by this Carolina 0-2 start. But realistically, I wanted to give props to the New York Giants. 2-0 is 2-0. They haven't done this in forever. Um, 
and I do like what I'm seeing out of their defense. It's, it's worth noting, remember in the offseason, their defensive coordinator did move on. Did move on to a new team. So they're going with Wink Martindale, right? And back in February, he said, this defense is not built to play it safe. All right, well, seems to be doing its job. Whatever buttons Wink is pushing, it seems to be pretty darn good. Is it a continuation, perhaps, of the developments under the previous coordinator? Maybe, but I tend to think when this defense is whole, when Thibodeau and Ojolari are out there rushing the passer on the outside, it certainly might help. And uh, who knows what this team could do. They've got the Dallas Cowboys coming up this week. That'll be a fun one to pick. The reason the bigger story to me is Detroit is this. And part here, here we go. One, one more thing to cap on the Giants. If Daniel Jones had been playing well at all, if I, if I could look at you and say, yeah, Daniel Jones is actually showing us something this year, then maybe I would say, yeah, you know what? They are the bigger story, but they're not. He hasn't really shown me much, if anything, this season. And he, he, honestly, in previous seasons, he hasn't shown me much either. So you're in a situation where if you're a Giants fan, for years you've been, at least if you're, you know, not blindless, excuse me, not blindly optimistic, you're down for the tank now and again, right? But when you're at 2-0 and and you see Dallas without Dak Prescott, you start to think as a Giants fan, maybe we should give it a go. Maybe this team is good enough. Are we going to win it all? I don't know. But it's Jones's last year. Let's see what he can do. It's one of those things, though, if you're a Giants fan, if they make the postseason, you may be stuck with another three years of Daniel Jones playing mediocre football at the quarterback position. Now, on the other side of this is Detroit. Why is Detroit the bigger story? Well... Green Bay looked pretty darn vulnerable in Week 1, though they looked great in Week 2, and we'll get to that in a bit. However, back-to-back games where the Detroit Lions drop 30-plus points. They play Philadelphia, they make it a game late. They play the Commanders, the Commanders try to make it a game late, right? Carson Wentz, 337, three touchdowns, pretty impressive. Uh, Decent game for McLaurin and Carter Samuel. Logan Thomas finds the end zone. Okay, great. However, Jared Goff, four touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown can't be stopped. Nine catches for a buck 16 and two touchdowns by himself. Oh, by the way, 68 yards on the ground. DeAndre Swift, who was battling injury coming into this one, only gets the ball five times on the ground, goes for 56 yards. You combo that with Jamal Williams, with Craig Reynolds, with Amon Ross St. Brown, you're looking at a pretty darn impressive performance on the ground and through the air. This is a decent offense. Is it a great defense? No. I mean, they scored 35 and lost in week one, and in week two they almost gave it up. So is this Detroit team going to push Green Bay? Probably not. However, it is worth noting that this team could be decent. This could be the best Detroit team they've fielded in a few years. Obviously, in the post-Stafford era, it's quite a step up here compared to how they were last year. Obviously, picking pretty high last at the end of last season. So, give me Detroit. They're, they're like the, the NFL Cinderella sweetheart story right now through the first few weeks. Give me Detroit, and let's see where this goes. I don't know, Lion fan. Let's, let's see where this goes. Number four in the standout seven, we talked about it. We said it wasn't a great game, but we got to touch on it. We touch on the prime timers. It's part of the job. Sunday night football, 
the Green Bay Packers playing host to the Chicago Bears. Um, Justin Fields only throws the ball 11 times in this game, which is a little bizarre. I, I understand the receiving core is weak. I've mentioned it several times. But you kind of got to... Gotta at least throw throw it. No, maybe not. I mean, if you're the Bears, I think they only had the ball for about 24 minutes in this game. So you gotta make the best with what you got. David Montgomery goes for a buck 22 on the ground. Pretty darn impressive. Um, they threatened to make it a little closer late in this game, right? Rodgers, fairly pedestrian for him, but pretty good. 19 to 25, 234, two touchdowns. The running game for Green Bay was tremendous, and that's one of the things that I thought would be more of their uh, focus this season, considering they don't have Devontae Adams, and that's one of the things that surprised me in Week 1. This is the running game I expected from Green Bay. 33 carries, 193 yards from A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones looked great. A.J. Dillon was grinding out yards. Sammy Watkins even had a decent, you know, decent game. 93 receiving, that's pretty darn good. For Sammy Watkins, they feature Jones in the passing game as well. Um, Cobb chipped in a little. Still no sign of any of these guys kind of stepping up to try and fill the role, but it'll take time, and it's a pretty darn big role to fill. Nevertheless, impressive win for Green Bay, a game that we all kind of thought they would win. Number five, let's talk Thursday night football, the game that broke Pat McAfee and uh, left many people who were gambling on Pittsburgh plus six and a half in absolute shambles. Um, this game didn't do too much for me, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. Jacoby Brissett was adequate. Nick Chubb was dominant, as he usually is. Amari Cooper did the Amari Cooper thing. Every once in a while, Amari Cooper will have a game like this where you go, wow, 7 for 101. Oh, yeah, that's right. Amari Cooper is a number one wideout. Yeah, he's, he's pretty darn good, isn't he? And then, like, we'll have a game like week one where it's just like, was he out there? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Njoku looked good, 9 catches for 89, that's pretty much their entire passing game in this game, and quite honestly will be for the bulk of the season until Deshaun Watson comes back, I imagine. Um, major takeaways on Pittsburgh's side, not much. I didn't think their defense played that poorly, I mean you never want to give up a buck 13 on the ground to Nick Chubb, but this is one of the better running attacks in the NFL. I talked about the great running game for Green Bay with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. This is a dynamic duo for Cleveland that has two legitimate Pro Bowl caliber running backs. I mean, you remember Kareem Hunt back in Kansas City? This guy is hands down probably the best backup running back in the league and probably should be starting somewhere. You tend to think maybe eventually he will, but obviously we have the off-the-field things and or uh, character sort of things, if you want to describe it that way, with the altercation he had at that movie theater. So, a little spicy for uh, some people to take on the team, and I understand it completely, if I'm being honest with you. Um, like I said, we'll touch on it. That's pretty much my takeaway. Uh, great catch from George Pickens. I mean, he ends the game with 39 yards. All right. I don't know, and people. I know some people really like Deontay Johnson. I don't know if Deontay Johnson can be the number one wideout for a playoff team. However... It's worth noting, I don't know if Mitchell Trubisky can be the starting quarterback of a playoff team. So I guess that's really the least of their problems. Um, it's, it is what it is, Pittsburgh fan. Hopefully T.J. Watt comes back sooner rather than later. 
Number six in the standout seven, and we are flying through it today. Tyrod Taylor was reportedly, or excuse me, is reportedly suing the team doctor of the Los Angeles Chargers for malpractice. Now, Tyrod Taylor, now, of course, the backup quarterback for the New York football giants. He is seeking, and this is per ESPN reports, seeking at least $5 million in damages after suffering a punctured lung while being treated for a rib injury in 2020, as you may remember, which led to Justin Herbert stepping into the starting quarterback role faster than they wanted him to at just the right time, if you were me. I mean, I'd said from the start he should be starting immediately. If you want to go back and listen to those episodes, I assume they didn't age great, but you never know. Maybe I hit some on the nose. Um, either way, the trial reportedly was originally scheduled for November, but both sides agreed to move it to June because of the NFL season. Okay. Um, the clinic, or excuse me, the orthopedic institute where the doctor works was originally listed as a defendant, but has since been dismissed. Obviously, I mean, he perhaps he performed the procedure there, but the procedure was on behalf of the chargers, not behalf of the clinic. So I tend to think that makes sense. Um, quote, the issue has been percolating since the lawsuit was filed in May of 21 for an injury that occurred almost exactly two years ago, Sunday. Now, this is the interesting part for me, because it seemed that he filed this lawsuit almost immediately when he was moving on from the Chargers. I assume that was to avoid any ill will or any awkward sort of circumstances. I can't necessarily blame him for that. Um... Do I also think that he's probably going to get some money out of this? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Uh, the lawsuit contends, according to ESPN, as he returned to free agency, he entered as a backup QB as opposed to a starting QB. The economic difference between a starting QB's salary and a backup QB's salary is at least $5 million and is more likely, more than likely much greater. The exact amount of such past and future loss is unknown at this time, and he will ask leave of this court for permission to amend this complaint to set forth the total amount when ascertained. This is interesting to me, because Tyrod Taylor, and we talked about this with the New York Giants specifically, I think he will see the field at some point this season, both because Daniel Jones has a penchant for turning the ball over, because Daniel Jones tends to wind up injured at one point in most seasons, and because, especially now with the team off to a 2-0 start, poor quarterback play could hamper a potential, you know, Cinderella run for this New York team. That's why they went out and signed a veteran quarterback like Tyrod Taylor, who Dable, I believe, crossed paths was in Buffalo. I tend to think that was the point. Uh, on top of the fact it might fit his system that, you know, he was running more with Josh Allen, but theoretically, you know, he's crossed paths with it. He could run it as best he could. Um, moreover, he's a legit starting QB. You know, you sign a guy like Nick Foles, sure, he can go out there and look decent for a little while, but I don't think at this point in his career he should be a starting quarterback. Do I think Tyrod Taylor is an S-tier QB or an A-tier QB or even a B? No, but I do think his athleticism and his skill set puts him above the likes of maybe a Joe Flacco, who just went out there and won a ball game at the end of last week. So honestly, my take on this, I want to see how it plays out. I tend to think Tyrod's got a, a legitimate beef here with this doctor who kind of, you know, potentially, who knows how he does as a Los Angeles Chargers starting quarterback? Who knows what transpires? And I can understand why they would say in the lawsuit it's kind of hard to ascertain how much money he lost. If he played well 
and then wound up getting benched for Herbert just because, oh, Herbert's our guy. Okay, fair enough. But he could have been trade bait. He could have been making $10 million somewhere, $12 million, 15 I don't know. So uh, I tend to think Tyrod might wind up getting a settlement here because I don't know what leg the doctor necessarily has to stand on unless there's a precedent of, you know, I injured you by accident and I don't have to pay you damages. Now, I'm not an expert on malpractice, but I tend to think that's explicitly the point of malpractice lawsuits when those things occur. So it would be interesting to see if there are sort of clauses and or uh, things that factor into it on the NFL's side, because this is obviously he's not in a technically in a hospital setting. He's the team doctor performing an action on behalf of the team. So is there sort of a clause in the contract that says, hey, if our team doctor messes you up, you can't sue us? Or I don't know, would the team have some kind of a role in this? I'm not honestly sure how this would play out. I'm very intrigued, though, uh, clearly. So number seven in the standout seven. Let's just go through some notes that we missed here. Uh, Mike Evans, we'll, we were going to get to later, but I'll throw it in here. Mike Evans is suspended one game for his actions beefing with Marshawn Lattimore for the second, third time. Um, he was also ejected from the game, as is tradition. Uh, Jacoby Myers reportedly doubting the New England offense. Kind of, kind of. I mean, they went out and won against Pittsburgh. It was their most beautiful offensive game, but it's just kind of ironic, also, because it's Jacoby Myers. I mean, like, this isn't Randy Moss. You know what I mean? We're talking about a guy that he's he's not hasn't really been an ace receiver here for the New England Patriots. I mean, last year he stepped up. He had 83 grabs for 866, right? But I, I don't know if Jacoby Myers is a number one wideout or anything of that sort. Um, we also had, let's see here, we have Marlon Mack going to San Francisco. I think it's a good get. Joe Hayden, another member of the Hall of Very Good. Um, as we discussed a few weeks ago, Emmanuel Sanders. I think Joe Hayden gets the nod. I think he may even be a little bit closer to the Hall of Fame than Sanders. Joe Hayden was pretty darn good during his time in Cleveland. But it's one of those things where you're a great corner on a not-so-great team. I don't know how that bodes for your Hall of Fame candidacy, to say the least. Um, speaking of the Cleveland Browns collapsing against the New York Jets, Nick Chubb infamously scored a touchdown to give the Browns their, you know, 32, what was it, 30-17 to 17 lead, I believe, when the Jets had no, cut, no timeouts. He got the first down and did not go down, instead helping out fantasy owners everywhere and then eventually costing him the game because Amari Cooper couldn't tie down that onside kick. And then Joe Fluco and the New York Jets went down the field and won the ball game on the road. And I mean, it was honestly, it was perfect. It was perfect because it was equal parts, oh, that's so Jets, because now, you know, oh, their backup quarterback led this big drive, and Joe Flacco will play decent, he'll go 2-2 two and two or something, and then Zach Wilson will go 0-3, oh and, and immediately it'll be, oh, well, Flacco was winning, or something of that sort. Um, either way, had to get that in there. Also, New York football Giants controversy. Kenny Galladay played, I believe it was just two snaps last week when they talked about it. Uh, excuse me, when they took on the Carolina Panthers. The two snaps count was from talk radio. I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate. But either way, 
supposedly he was very unhappy, and he commented on it post-game. And the interesting part to me, as a... I mean, I wouldn't call myself an analyst, and I also wouldn't necessarily call myself a pundit. I'll go football fan. How about that one? The interesting part to me is, I mean, everyone in the NFL sphere was clowning Kenny Galladay for his poor play as an acquisition for the New York Giants. I mean, I'm somebody that said, hey, Kenny Galladay was pretty darn good in Detroit. How's he going to do with the Giants? That's a decent get. I mean, the guy had 37 catches last year. He did not score a touchdown. He's yet to score a touchdown in 16 games. So on top of the fact that you are totally not the guy that should be whining about playing time when you're on the field, you're not getting it done. Uh, granted, Daniel Jones passing game, right? It's not a great offense. However, you're judged on your stats, and your stats are not living up to your contract. Um, it's intriguing to me that you'd have a receiver who's supposed to be one of your top wideouts complaining when the team is 2-0. I mean, this is a guy that played in Detroit. He's not exactly used to winning, so like, I, I don't get where the beef is here if you're Kenny Galladay. It, it's weird to me, and I don't know. Then we see Brian Daybell come out and say, yeah, I want him to be angry. I want him to be competitive. I want him to want playing time, and yada, 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 which is neat and all, but like, what? Like, I get that he can't come out and say, dude, you're coming off a horrible year. You're not playing that great. You'll get out there when you play better. But at the same time, why is this happening? This is just drama for the sake of being drama on a team that has so far been overachieving and going into a little bit of a statement game against the Dallas Cowboys. Granted, it's a backup QB for Dallas, but you take them when you can get them. You can't always play a team at their full strength, and they won't always play you at your full strength. A little weird to me. Will the Giants come out and try and throw the ball more and force Galladay some action and wind up throwing a pick six to Trayvon Diggs? That would be on brand, but we'll find out come Monday night. That's that's right. Giants-Cowboys Monday night with no Dak Prescott. Intriguing. Uh, either way, that'll bring us to the end of the standout seven portion of this week's episode and bring us to my favorite part, your favorite part of the show, the pick'em portion. And we're going to get started. We had a rough week last week, let me tell you. Week one, we go 8-7-1. and one. We got some bad bounces. Last week, we go 7-9, and nine, right? We go 7-9. and nine. We lose the Bengals-Cowboys one, which was weird. We lose the Raiders one, and they had the lead. I mean, the Jaguars blanked the Colts. The Panthers couldn't find a way to beat the Giants. We could have easily been looking at 10 wins, but that's not the way it goes. We've got to jump in. we got to go, you know, we're on to Cincinnati to quote Belichick, and we're going to get started with a spicy, piping hot 1 o'clock matchup between AFC East powerhouse, the Buffalo Bills, and hot on their tail, the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo going to be without two defensive linemen, Jordan Phillips with a hammy and Ed Oliver with an ankle, and two in the defensive backfield, corner Dane Jackson, who we saw sustained a relatively serious injury in the primetime game, neck injury, and Micah Hyde as well with a neck injury. Questionable, wide receiver Gabe Davis with an ankle, tight end Dawson Knox with a foot, center Mitch Morse with an elbow, and two on the defensive side, D-lineman Tim Settle with a calf, and safety Jordan Poyer with a foot injury. The hosting Miami Dolphins are going to be without tight end Sathan Carter with a concussion and tight end Hunter Long with an ankle. Questionable, wide receiver 
said Wilson with a rib and toe injury. Left tackle Teron Armstead with a toe. D-lineman Raekwon Davis with a knee. And corner Xavier Howard with a groin. Now, considering what we've seen from these two teams, I tend to think the big winner, if you're going gambling, is going to be the over for this one. However, it's going to be real hard for me to pick against this Buffalo team that has looked so dominant in the first two weeks. Give me Buffalo to win this one in a game that will probably be closer than a lot of people expect on the road. Next, the Cincinnati Bengals head to New Jersey to take on the Jets. Bengals going to be without tight end Drew Sample with a knee injury. Doubtful, linebacker Jermaine Pratt with a knee. Questionable, their new acquisition tight end Hayden Hurst with a groin. And new acquisition right tackle Lyle Collins with a back. The Jets injury report, of course they're going to be without quarterback Zach Wilson, still rehabbing and I believe on the pup list for a couple more weeks. Questionable, wide receiver Corey Davis with a knee. Left tackle George Fant with a knee. Tight end C.J. Uzoma with a hammy. 2D lineman Quinnen Williams with a foot and John Franklin Myers with a toe and a quad injury, as well as safety Jordan Whitehead battling a calf. I don't really see the Bengals going to 0-3. I haven't been all that impressed by the way they've played. However, the same could be said for the Jets if you turned the game off with two minutes left against the Browns. Give me the Bengals to win this one on the road. Next, the Las Vegas Raiders, fresh off of their collapse, as we discussed before, head to Tennessee, fresh off of their shellacking from the Buffalo Bills. The Raiders going to be without aforementioned wide receiver Hunter Renfro with a concussion, as well as linebacker Denzel Perriman with an ankle. Questionable, running back Josh Jacobs with an illness. Center Andre James with a concussion. D-lineman Bilal Nichols with a shoulder. Neil Farrell with a shoulder. And safety Trayvon Morig with a hip. The Titans, and there's a couple of big ones on here, are going to be without left tackle Taylor Lewan with a knee, linebacker Bud Dupree with a hip, linebacker Ola Adeniyi with a neck, and DB Hugo Amadi with a neck as well. Doubtful, wide receiver Kyle Phillips with a shoulder, and questionable, linebacker Zach Cunningham with a knee. I'm going to take the Raiders in this one. I'm going to believe that the Raiders are going to be able to get riled up by Josh McDaniels and go, you know what, we're 0-2. We shouldn't be 0-2. Tough games, another tough one here, and they take this one on the road. Also, part of it is, if the Raiders can, you know, not necessarily completely stymie Derrick Henry on the ground, but if they can get their offense clicking a little bit with their passing game with Darren Waller and with Devontae Adams, try and get out in front. It's the classic way to beat Tennessee. The passing game, it's just not there. Uh, they tried to add Julio Jones last year. It wasn't there then. I don't know if it's there now. Honestly, part of the thing that was intriguing to me, I mentioned Malik Willis got out there. His mobility looked very, very interesting. If you're, if you're a Titan fan, considering the way their offense has, uh, looked through two weeks, especially against the New York Giants, Buffalo, you expect to get smacked around perhaps a little, but the New York football Giants are not a defensive powerhouse, um, Willis's mobility, which is obviously more than that of an aging Ryan Tannehill, could open some things up in the playbook. I wonder if and when we wind up seeing him. I don't know. Will that spark this team? Will they fall down here to 0-3 and then start to get a little sweaty in Mike Vrabel's office? I'm saying yes, but we'll see when we see Willis again. 
Our next matchup is an NFC South battle between the Jameis Winston-led New Orleans Saints and the hosting Carolina Panthers, led by Baker Mayfield. Panthers listing just two on their injury report. Questionable, both at the cornerback position, Dante Jackson with a hammy and Stantley Thomas-Oliver with an Achilles. Saints going to be without corner Alante Taylor with a knee. Questionable, Jameis Winston, who's battling those back fractures, uh, as well as an ankle injury, according to the injury report. Running back Alvin Kamara with a rib. Quarterback slash tight end Taysom Hill with a rib as well. Offensive lineman Ryan Ramchek with an elbow. And two in the defensive backfield, Paulson Adebo at corner with an ankle. And safety Marcus May with a rib. This one's weird, especially considering the injuries that Jameis Winston is trying to play through. It makes it a little challenging to know what kind of production we're going to get because it's one wrong turn and Jameis Winston's going to be on the sideline for uh, who knows how long, if we're being completely honest. So I'm going to take the Panthers. I mean, I took the Panthers the first two weeks and they have not done right by me. So let's see if that keeps up. But give me the Panthers to win this one at home. Next, we've got an AFC Championship game rematch from way back when as the Baltimore Ravens head to Foxborough to take on Mac Jones and the New England Patriots. Long injury reports on both sides. Baltimore, listing one is doubtful. Left tackle Ronnie Stanley with an ankle. Questionable, many more name brand players. Running back J.K. Dobbins with a knee. Wide receiver James Prochet the second with a groin. Tight end Isaiah Likely with a groin. Ironic that he's listed as questionable with the name Likely. Um, corners Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters with a groin and knee respectively, as well as Demarion Williams with an ankle and Brandon Stevens with a quad. The Patriots, questionable wide receiver Jacoby Myers with a knee, defensive lineman Davin Godshow with a back, linebacker Raekwon McMillan with a thumb, and in the secondary, a lot of players. Jalen Mills with a hammy, Cody Davis with a calf, Joshua Bledsoe with a groin, Kyle Duggar with a knee, and Adrian Phillips with a rib injury. Five in the defensive backfield alone on the injury report for New England after a game where Lamar Jackson looked pretty darn good through the air. And this receiving core that I gave, you know, I gave them guff for has looked pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Baltimore receiving core, Bateman has stepped up. Prochet has made a couple plays. Duvernay, obviously, with the kickoff return, he's made some plays here and there. Is there that big star or even rising star? I wouldn't go there yet, but we're early in the season. Give me Baltimore to win this one on the road. Next, it is an NFC North battle between mediocre QBs when Jared Goff leads the Lions into Minnesota to take on Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Lions going to be without offensive lineman Jonah Jackson with a finger and defensive lineman John Kaminsky with a wrist. Questionable, running back DeAndre Swift with an ankle, tight end TJ Hawkinson with a hip, center Frank Ragnow with a foot, and high draft pick rookie Aiden Hutchison with a thigh. For the Vikings, two listed is out, both in the defensive backfield. Corner Andrew Booth Jr. with a quad injury and Harrison Smith fighting through the concussion protocol. Questionable, just one linebacker Eric Kendricks with a toe. You know, I, I did a big spreadsheet way back when. This is a peek behind the curtain moment. You know I love to do these. I did a big spreadsheet of teams that I picked and how often I picked them incorrectly and how often, you know, I did this, that, and the third, and oh, okay, well, when I pick this team, I overestimate them. When I pick that team, I underestimate them. I tend to think, and I have to really pour through to go find it, I tend to think Minnesota is one of my worst pick teams. 
I am consistently either over or underestimating their abilities. This is a game they should win. However, I am picking them to lose to Detroit because I think Detroit has momentum. And uh, honestly, I mean, primetime Kirk Cousins. What was I thinking, man? What was I thinking? Philly looked good in that game. Did we even touch on that one? I think we might have passed both. We might have passed that one. Philly looked good in that game. But either way, man, like, my goodness. Kirk Cousins. C- come on, dude. Give me give me Detroit to win this one on the road. I, I know they won't, in all likelihood. But we'll take Detroit anyway. Our next game is an NFC East matchup. As Jalen Hurts leads the Philadelphia Eagles into football team <coughs> or, uh, commander's territory to take on former Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz. Questionable for the Eagles. Offensive lineman Landon Dickerson with a foot. The commander is going to be without two D linemen, Casey Tuhill with a concussion, and defensive tackle Daniel Wise with an ankle injury. Questionable, DN James Smith-Williams with an abdomen. Outside linebacker David Mayo with an ankle injury. The Eagles are one of the most impressive teams in the league so far, if I'm being honest. And as much as it'd be funny for Carson Wentz to defeat them, I, I don't know. I think this Eagles team is, is fairly complete. I saw a post somewhere, and it, it kind of rang true, as much as I think it's somebody just hating on, you know, Jalen Hurts. They said, if you replace Jalen Hurts with any of the top 10 to 12 quarterbacks in the NFL, the Eagles would be one of, if not the favorite, to come out of the NFC. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you. That might be accurate, if I'm being completely honest. However, you can't do that. But Jalen Hurts has been playing pretty well. Give me Philly to win this one on the road. Next, the Kansas City Chiefs head to Indy to take on the struggling Indianapolis Colts. What, what do you want? What do you want if you're the Colts? You just played the Texans and the Jaguars on the road. You want your home opener, right? Okay, here you go. Here's the Kansas City Chiefs coming in at two and zero. Two fairly impressive wins, depending on how impressed you were with you know beating Justin Herbert injured late in that other game. Uh, in week two, rather. Either way, a Super Bowl contender by way of their quarterback-head-coach combo, and they come in on extra rest. Chiefs, going to be without their kicker, Harrison Butker, and D-lineman Mike Dana with a calf. Dana? Dana? Let me know, Mike, if you're listening. Social media, anywhere, or the comments section, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. It wouldn't be a week if I didn't get a plug-in, you guys know that. The Colts going to be without offensive lineman Bernard Raymond with an ankle, as well as linebacker Shaq Leonard with a back injury. Questionable, pass rusher Yannick Ngakwe with a back injury as well. Now, this is a game that if I was picking at the beginning of the season, I love to play this, by the way. I love to say this over and over. If I was picking at the beginning of the season, I more than likely would have picked the Colts because I'd say, well, I'm not super high on Kansas City. The Colts have Jonathan Taylor. They're going to play ball control. They're going to do their thing. They just got shut out by the Jaguars. They gave up 24 to the Jaguars. I'm going to take the Chiefs to win this one on the road. Our next matchup is a battle of two young quarterbacks that, you know, some people are sold on, some are not. As the Houston Texans, led by Davis Mills, head to Chicago to take on the Justin Fields-led Bears. I tend to think he'll throw more than 11 passes in this one, by the way. Spoilers. Um, the Texans going to be without tight end Brevin Jordan with an ankle injury, offensive lineman Austin DeCoulis with an ankle injury as well, and DB Isaac Yadam, I believe he's a former Giant, with a thigh injury. 
Questionable, another tight end, Farrow Brown with a shoulder, D-lineman Malik Collins with a knee, and Kurt Heinisch with a foot injury. The Bears, going to be without their tight end, Ryan Griffin with an Achilles, linebacker Matt Adams with a hammy, and DB Dane Cruikshank with a hamstring injury as well. Doubtful for the third straight week, I believe, wide receiver Vellis Jones Jr. with a hammy, and questionable, linebacker Roquan Smith with a hip, and DB Jalen Johnson with a quad. I'm going to take the Bears in this one. Like I said, I tend to think they'll be able to unleash, quote-unquote, their passing game a little bit more in this matchup. You could make the argument, well, I mean, if Rodgers had a fairly efficient game through the air, well, Brandon Cooks is arguably better than most of the receivers on that Packers team. You'd be right. However, I'm going to take Fields over Mills in this one. Next, we move to the lone 405 kick of the week. The Jaguars, with more momentum than they've had in years, taking on the Chargers, who are in a bit of a pickle. The hosting Chargers, listing two as doubtful, center Corey Lindsley with a knee, and cornerback J.C. Jackson with an ankle, two big ones. Questionable, wide receiver Keenan Allen, huge one, with a hammy, tight end Donald Parham, literally huge man, uh, with a hammy, offensive lineman Trey Pipkins with a foot, and oh, by the way, Justin Herbert, with the rib cartilage injury he suffered against the Chiefs. Jaguars just one questionable corner Shaquille Griffin with a hip. Now, if Herbert does not go, obviously we're recording the show Friday evening into Saturday, if Herbert does not go, it will either be Easton Stick, who's attempted one pass ever, or Chase Daniel, who has not attempted a pass since the 2020 season. Career completion percentage at 68%. He's made five starts in... Goodness gracious, 12 years. Um, he's got eight touchdowns to seven picks. They'd really presumably have to lean on short passing and I guess Austin Eckler. If this is a backup QB game, I, I tend to think I'd get to use my uh, my asterisk on this game, right? And I would go with maybe the Jaguars, but I'm going to operate under the assumption we will see Herbert hopefully, for Charger fans. And I'll take the Chargers to win this one at home as shakily as I've taken them in some time. In the 425 block, we've got three games, starting with the NFC West matchup between the defending champion LA Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals with some momentum here, coming off of a huge win, as we said, against the Raiders. The Rams going to be without wide receiver Van Jefferson with a knee injury, center Brian Allen with a knee injury as well, and two corners, David Long Jr. and Kobe Durant with a groin and hamstring injury respectively. Questionable, just DB Jordan Fuller with a hammy. Cardinals going to be without wide receiver Rondale Moore with a hammy, linebacker Zeke Turner with an ankle, and questionable, big one, running back James Conner with an ankle injury as well. Now, I wasn't all that impressed by what I saw from the Rams last week, and Honestly, till the end of the game, I wasn't supremely impressed by what I was seeing from the Arizona Cardinals either. However, I'll rest on the laurels here. I'll take the defending champs to win this one on the road. I assume that they'll do a better job in terms of the athleticism on their front with uh, <laughs> containing and or stopping the scrambling shenanigans of one Kyler Murray. Next, NFC playoff game rematch. The Green Bay Packers head down to Raymond James to take on Thomas Brady 
and the Buccaneers. Packers going to be without Sammy Rodkins with a hamstring injury. Questionable wide receiver Christian Watson with a hammy as well. Randall Cobb with an illness. Tight end Mercedes Lewis with a groin. And left tackle David Bakhtiari with a knee. Now, if none of those guys play, you would argue this is going to be a really hard day for Aaron Rodgers. Buccaneers on the other side are without Chris Godwin with a hamstring injury. D.N. Akeem Hicks with a foot. Doubtful. Tight end Cade Otten for personal reasons. Left tackle Donovan Smith with an elbow. Questionable. Leonard Fournette with a hammy. Russell Gage with a hammy. Julio Jones with a knee. And Brashad Perriman with a knee. As weird as it sounds, this is looking like a Packers-Buccaneers game where you might want to bet the under. Um, I'm going to take the Bucks in this game. They're at home. And the last time I saw Aaron Rodgers play against this team, he wasn't willing to scramble into the end zone. Give me the Buccaneers to win this one at home. Next, the Battle of the Birds. First time I've gotten that line in this season, I think, as the Atlanta Falcons head to Seattle to take on the Geno Smith-led, surprising Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks coming in at 1-1, Falcons at 0-2. Falcons going to be without offensive lineman Elijah Wilkinson, listed as not injury-related. Uh, Seahawks going to be without Shelby Harris on the defensive side, also listed as not injury-related. Uh, doubtful, two defensive backs, Joey Blunt with a hammy and Justin Coleman with a calf. Questionable, safety Quandre Diggs with a knee injury. Now, if we're playing on paper, which a lot of the prediction game truly is, you look at the Seattle weaponry on their offense, and you look at what they've got from their rookie running back last week, who looked pretty good for my money, um, coupled with the fact they have DK Metcalf and they have Tyler Lockett, and you think, well, I mean, they're at home. Maybe that's enough. Well, I kind of like what I've seen out of Cordero Patterson, Marcus Mariota, Drake London. I don't really think I've seen too much out of Kyle Pitts, but I, I tend to think that will change with time. Maybe it's a chemistry thing. I'm not sure. Maybe, it, it, I don't know. Tight ends just don't get the targets in some of these offenses that, that I think they should. I mean, you can make the argument he's easily the best weapon on that offense. I don't know. Cordero Patterson's pretty pretty shifty. He's pretty darn good at running back. He's had quite the career renaissance in Atlanta, and Drake London has looked good, so I'm not sure. In a battle of Mariota versus Geno, I'm going to buck the trend here. I'm going to take the Falcons. Am I super confident in the Falcons winning against the 12th man? Not really, but am I super confident in Geno Smith? I think you know the answer to that one. Give me the Falcons to pull off the, the upset, I guess? Our Sunday night football game, the San Francisco 49ers head to Mile High to take on their old opponent, Russell Wilson, and the Denver Broncos. The Niners going to be without running back Tyron Davis-Price with an ankle injury, tight end Tyler Croft with a knee, and lineman Daniel Brunskill with a hammy. Questionable offensive lineman Colton McKivitz with an ankle and D-end Eric Armstead with a foot. Broncos, quite a few players listed. Out for this game, corner Darius Phillips with a hammy as well as a laundry list of players listed as questionable. Three wide receivers, Jerry Judy, Tyree Cleveland, and K.J. Hamler. Two offensive linemen in Quinn Miners and Billy Turner. Two defensive linemen in Mike Purcell and Draymond Jones. Two linebackers in Jonathan Cooper and Josie Jewell. And corner and nickname icon PS2 Patrick Sertan II. This is a weird game to pick. I'm going to go solely off the fact that the Broncos have a laundry list of injuries, and this 49ers team has seen Russell Wilson a whole heck of a lot. 
Now, I'm not saying Russell can't bring some intel in, you know, to this Broncos staff and maybe help them defensively as well, but I'm going to take the Niners to win this one on the road. Then, Monday Night Football. Da, 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 da. No injury report, of course, uh, but we've got the Dallas Cowboys heading to the Meadowlands to take on the New York Football Giants. Will the New York teams lose back-to-back games to back-to-back contenders at home? Well, I'm going to take the Giants. Is this a homerish pick? Perhaps. Will I be wrong, and will I be disappointed in the play I see from Daniel Jones? Perhaps. Do the Giants have a track record of stopping Tony Pollard and or Zeke Elliott? No. No, they do not. However... I don't know how to quantify it, but something feels different about this New York Giants team, and what would be more different than starting the season 3-0 by winning a prime-time game? Give me the Giants to win this one at home. Then, in a bad scheduling break, if I'm being completely honest, our final game of the week is the Week 4 Thursday Night Football matchup. The Miami Dolphins, who will be playing the Bills get to go on the road to take on the Bengals in Cincinnati. Mind you, this is the Bengals team that is playing the Jets. Anyway, um, to a tongue of Iloa, tank of Iloa, to a goat of Iloa after his six-touchdown performance, we need a nickname for Tua. I, mean, I guess when your name's short, you don't really need a nickname. I mean, I'm Nick. That's kind of my nickname. Right? But it's short for Nicholas. You know, what's Tua long for? Or short for, rather. I'm not sure that there is a long-form version of Tua's first thing. Either way, neither here nor there. Maybe for all I know, he already has a nickname on Dolphins Twitter, and I am now looking up his full name, and it is significantly longer than Tua. I take it back. Tua is, in fact, the nickname. Do yourself a favor and look it up. I will not butcher it on our airwaves, because I guarantee if I tried doing it, if I tried saying it without hearing it, I would botch that name, and I wouldn't do that to you, Tua. Uh, Either way, don't know how they drew into this one, We talked about this before with Kansas City, right? Kansas City gets to play at home after a weaker game, and somehow the team that had the harder game had to go on the road. This is a similar situation. Last time I took the team that was hot, in my opinion, in the Chargers, and, uh, well, it didn't work out for them. Will it work out for this Miami Dolphin team on the road against the Bengals? Do I see the Bengals going to 1-3, and in a tough AFC North where they're going to have to deal with Baltimore, where they're going to have to deal with Pittsburgh, who usually finds their way into everything, and maybe a Browns team that will stay alive longer than I expected? That's a hard question to answer. Which Joe Burrow are we going to see this week? Is he going to throw four interceptions again? I doubt it. Will Jamar Chase have a huge breakout game against the New York Jets? Likely. Will T. Higgins catch two touchdowns? Because everyone bet on Jamar Chase, because I just said that. Likely. And for that very reason, I am going to pick against my own instinct here, and I'm going to take the Bengals. Now look, I'm being honest with you, I think right now as we stand, week three, you know, day before, day and a half before week three, I think the Miami Dolphins are off to a significantly better start, and right now they look significantly better than the Cincinnati Bengals. However, I'm going to go against myself, I'm going to do the George Costanza, everything I'm doing, I'll do the opposite, give me Cincinnati to somehow find a way to win Thursday Night Football at home. That'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness Podcast. Thank you for joining us 
whether it was your first episode or your 142nd. Thank you so much. Necessary Roughness Podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend for more picks that may or may not be so correct and more analysis that may or may not be funny. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.